0: Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. The cage of assumption. For so many of us, we, we assume things. We assume the worst. We assume the worst, instead of believing the best, we assume the worst, and, and that's the devil being a deceiver. He's really good at that. Before I jump into the cage of assumption, I want to share a quick story that um, has something to do with what we're talking about. On uh, Friday, our pastor left for vacation. He will be back on Friday. He will be back hugging you on the porch on Sunday morning, but he uh, he didn't want to pay that parking fee you know, at the airport for seven days, so he said... He said, son, would you take me to the airport? I said, "Be have to take me. Take. So it got his whole family, got got the church van, and we dropped him off at the airport. Well, on the way, I was in charge of my two kids. So I've got Zach, who's seven, and Jack, who's five, in the car seat's behind me, and we're driving them to the airport. And pastor being pastor, you know, he's the most benevolent man that I know. He's just uh, so generous. And so he, he says, boys, and he, of course, he's already on vacation in his head, so he just gives them $20 a piece. He says, go get you a toy, you know. So their face lit up. I'm like... Thanks. You know, you know, you know it's sweet. It's sweet. So now immediately, Toys R Us, Toys R Us, let's go to Toys R Us. So we go to Toys R Us. So we go in and Jack picks out a book that he wanted and, and Zach picked out like this bow and arrow with like the, the suction cups, you know, and so we get home and uh, I was going to help Zach open his toy. Jack's was already open and, and, and uh, he's the older one, he's seven, and, but I ran, ran to the restroom. So I'm in the restroom and he's seven, he's about to be eight. And so he's capable of opening toys by himself, but the packaging on those toys, uh, there's a lawsuit waiting to happen, right? They, they put those in there like they're protecting gold. I don't like, it's a $7 toy. So, so anyway, he, he, uh, he's in the kitchen, I'm in the restroom, and I hear this blood-curdling scream. So I run in there, I'm like, what whoa, what what happened, what happened, what happened? And he said, I cut myself, I was opening my package, and I cut myself, those little zip ties on those individual arrows, and he was cutting them, and he cut himself. Let me just preface this by saying this: I don't handle blood, y'all. Okay, I don't. I don't like it. I don't. I I get a little little weaky when it, You know, I, just, I don't. I don't. I don't like that. When my wife was giving birth to Zach uh, nearly eight years ago, she had she had a C-section, so she's having major surgery. And the doctors and her were not worried about her; they were worried about me. I'm over there, He's green. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to make it through the surgery, but it's it's just like they had to wheel me out. That's so embarrassing. But I don't I, like. I don't handle that stuff well. So, flash forward to to Friday, I'm I'm in there, I'm like, well, bub, let me, so I get a paper towel, I'll wet it, I said, just put it on the, on the cut, and just, I'm just like, you know, little nick, whatever, and he, he just, like, this is a big deal, and so I said, put some pressure on it, and he said, I need another paper towel, I said, okay, 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 so I, I got the water, and I rinsed it off, and I gave him another paper towel, and he he hands me the old one, and it's covered in blood, I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) it's a lot of blood, so I. I put it in the trash can. I'm still just thinking, okay, I said, let me see it. I just can I can I see it? And he goes, I need a minute. So I said, okay. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a minute. And I went to the living room and I'm just like, you know, and I can tell he's kind of looking at it, you know, he's just he's trying to check it out. So I came back in and I said, Okay, I need to see your cut. I need to see your cut. And he goes, Well, it's kind of bad. I said, just let me see your cut. Like I'm just thinking, Neosporin Band-Aid, let's just end this thing already. And he goes, I need another minute. I said, No, I need another minute. Okay, okay. So I go to the living room. And so I come back a third time, and I'm like, okay, I need to see the cut. And he goes, no, I I need. No, you don't get any more time, Zach. I said, we're going to the hospital, which he didn't want to do that. Or you're showing me the cut. And again, just show me the cut, and we'll put a Band-Aid on it and be done with it. So he goes, you're not going to touch it? I'm not going to touch it. So he lifts off the paper towel. Y'all. It was like the bone in his hand was presenting itself to me. It was like the skin was doing this. And I go, and I'm trying to be like calm dad. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> put the beverage towel back on him, baby. I'm calling my wife. How close are you to the house? Get here now, you know. About to pass out. So uh, so we go to the hospital. This is where we get to the cage of assumption. We get to the hospital, and my youngest son, uh, Jack, he's five, but he has autism. And, and he has... Uh, An aversion to ears. He doesn't like anybody touching his ears. Please don't touch his ears, he'll never come to church again. He'll think of this as the ear place. He hates. Like, his ears are dirty. Like, if you see him, his ears are dirty. We, we have to clean him while he sleeps. This is, I wish I was joking. He hates people touching his ears. So one time he we went to the doctor and they put the little ear thing in there, you know, where they're looking in his ear. And so now he hates the doctor. So we're at, we're at Dell Children's with Zach, who's got the filet of fish hand, and he's, we're walking through the hospital. And Jack is like, no ears, no ears. I'm like, son, we're not, we're not even here for you. We're here for him, you know. No ears, no ears. We're in the hospital room. The doctor. It's, it's, you know, got Zach on the butcher paper, and he's looking at, and Jack's over here going, no ears, no ears, no ears. The doctor has to say, we're not touching your ears, man. Like, he assumed incorrectly that we were there to take care of his ears. Like, no, we're not even here, you're a different kid. You see your brother's hand. Zach's fine, he's going to live. He had to get like 10 stitches. It was pretty scary, he had to get sedated, they had to put him under. But he's okay, he's going to live. Uh, so if you see him tonight, don't give him a high five either, okay? We don't want the stitches to break We have these assumptions, right? We, We build these assumptions up in our head, and they may or may not even be true. And so that's the cage that we find ourselves in tonight. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We'll have the text on the screen. But since this is the reading of the Word of God, let's stand together and read this. Just the first five verses. After this, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, the very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Then verse 5, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. You may be seated. All right, so let me set the scene for us tonight. Abraham and Sarah are childless. Now, they have a deep, deep desire to have kids, but she has been barren for decades. And I think a lot of times we read Scripture and we kind of lose the human element of the story. Think about Sarah's point of view. Every time one of her friends gets pregnant, every time she hears a child crying in the distance, there's a familiar pain she feels. Abram and her have probably spent many nights crying together over this. They have probably had a few fights together over this they felt the ache of emptiness and the confusion of helplessness because what they wanted most they could not have but on one day on this day God promised them you're gonna have children look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them so shall your offspring be and what I love about this story it's not just what God says but it's what God does. Look at the beginning of verse 5. Look at that. What, how, what does God do? Where does God take him? Outside. outside. God took Abram outside. One person is excited about this as I am. It's exciting. I think a lot of times, myself included, we can look over like a, a, the, that part of the verse and just go, oh, that's good. Like it's just filler. But nothing in Scripture is accidental. Nothing in Scripture is accidental. So God says, I'm going to take you outside. I love that. I love that. And here, here's what I'm thinking. Abraham was holed up in a tent. A tent is man-made. A tent is man-made. It's got probably about an eight-foot ceiling. God says, you know what? I'm going to take you out of this manufactured environment, emphasis on man, manufactured environment, and I'm going to take you out and you're going you're to gaze at the stars of which I have created. Don't put a ceiling on me. How long do you think it took Abraham to count the stars? all night how many times did he lose count <laughs> 181, 182 183, did I already count that one 1, 2, you know but I love this object lesson that God gives Abram he says I don't want you to ever forget every single night as you walk out of your tent you're going to be reminded of the promise that I have given to you Here's a, a shot of, of some stars. This is our Milky Way galaxy. And, and uh, there's something about looking into the night sky. You can go to the next slide. Something about looking into the night sky that recalibrates me spiritually. It kind of reminds me how small I am and how big God is. Psalm 19 one says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The sky declares the work of his hands. God is big. God is huge. God is ginormous. And we have to right-size him tonight. He doesn't have a brain like ours. He doesn't think like us or act like us or have limitations like we do. He is ginormous. And the heavens are a giant billboard screaming every single day and night of his power, of his majesty, and of his greatness. God is a big God. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, a lot of people say that they think that there was a Big Bang. They had that Big Bang theory. The world came together with a Big Bang. I'm okay with that, too. Because I think when God, a few verses later, spoke light into existence, he said, let there be light. And there was light. Light flew out of the mouth of God at 186,000 miles per second. That's the speed of light. And it was probably loud. It might have been a Big Bang. I don't know. But I'm okay with that. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. God breathes out stars as big as the sun and bigger. He, He exhales big balls of fire. In fact, scientists say even today that a star is being born every single second. Every second. A new star as big as the sun and bigger coming into an existence. It's like God just exhaling. And they're coming out of his mouth. The breath of his mouth. Starry host by the breath of his mouth. Through the prophet Isaiah, he says, to whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes to the heavens. Who created all of these? And then he answers for himself. He says, the one who leads forth the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. It's like he's naming the stars as they're coming out of his mouth. The universe comes into existence. And we don't even know how big the universe is, by the way. If you look at it, uh, talk to any scientist, they call it the known universe. You see that vernacular, the known universe. Because we don't really know how big the universe is. And we build a bigger telescope and we see a little bit further. And our idea expands of what the known universe is. But we really don't know how big the universe is. We have this known universe. And we live in this little subdivision of the universe called the Milky Way Galaxy. By the way, we live in a universe so big that we don't use a mile or a yardstick or a ruler uh, to get around our universe. We actually use something called a light year, and it's exactly like it sounds. It's 186,000 miles per second, which is really fast. You can take a beam of light and circle the earth seven times in one second. That's how fast that is, 186,000 miles per second every second for a year. That's a light year. I'll, put, I'll do the math for you. I've got your calculator. It's actually, it, it translates to 5.88 trillion miles. That's a light year. Now, this is a little fun little fact for you. Uh, when I hear the word million or billion or trillion, that seems like a really big number. They're all big. They're bigger than two, right? So billion, trillion, that's a big, like McDonald's, billions of hamburgers. Like what? Is that more than millions? Yeah, but how much more? Well, I'll tell you. A million seconds ago, this is fun, you can use this at work tomorrow and fool your friends. Uh, A million seconds ago, a million seconds ago, anybody want to know, want to guess how long ago that was? A million seconds ago. It's 12 days ago. Okay, it was the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. That was a million seconds ago. Okay? Now, a billion seconds ago, a billion seconds ago, if a million seconds ago was 12 days ago, a billion seconds ago was... Almost 32 years ago, I was four. It's in 1984. A billion seconds ago. A trillion seconds ago? 29,693 BC is a trillion seconds ago. So when you say million, big and trillion, those sounds like they're big numbers, but a billion seconds ago, <laughs> I was this big. <laughs> a trillion seconds ago. 29,693 B.C., 31,000 years ago, basically. We have a ruler in our universe that's 5.88 trillion miles long. That's the measuring stick to get around God's universe. This is the Milky Way galaxy. I want to show you a shot of the Milky Way galaxy uh, this is our galaxy. Now, we really don't have a picture of that because we can't get a satellite out far enough to take a picture of the Milky Way galaxy. This is a composite image that NASA's come up with. They've taken thousands of photographs, and this is what they think it looks like. We really don't know, but this is what we believe it looks like. It's a barred nucleus, a barred spiral galaxy. It's beautiful, but that's, that's, those pink things, are, they're real cute. Those are actually star-forming incubators, and like I said, they're forming new stars every second as we speak tonight. So that's that's our galaxy. You're like, okay, where are we? Are we in the middle there? No, you don't want to be in the middle. That's very dangerous. Don't want to be in the middle. That's that's, uh, that's a scary place to be. We're about two-thirds of the way out in between those spiral arms. You don't want to be in the spiral arms either. That's also a dangerous place to be. About two-thirds of the way out, we're right about here. And you're like, I don't see me. (laughs) What's interesting is I couldn't even put a dot on this map. To accurately portray our size of our solar system, not our planet, our solar system, nine planets and a sun, in comparison to the size of the Milky Way galaxy. Scientists have said that if our solar system, our nine planets and the sun, if our solar system was the size of a quarter, the Milky Way galaxy would be the size of the North American continent. Canada, USA, Mexico, we're a quarter in the size. That's just our galaxy One of hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe. One of these uh, stars in the Milky Way galaxy, is not the biggest, it's not the brightest, but it is the closest, it's the sun. And around tonight are nine orbiting balls, and three out is our home. This is Earth. If you know your geography, you see that's a picture of Africa right there in the center of the picture, There's a wisp of cloud coming over the Cape of Good Hope. You can see the Mediterranean Sea. What you do not see is you don't see country lines, you don't see state borders, you don't see people, you don't see poverty, you don't see hunger, you don't see strife, you don't see cars. And you may be thinking, I'm getting the feeling, maybe I'm not as big as I thought I was. Maybe I'm not as grand as I've made myself out to be coming in here tonight. Neil Armstrong said famously, I remember on the way home on Apollo 11. It suddenly struck me that that tiny P, P P-E-A, that tiny P, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put up my thumb and shut one eye, and my thumb blotted out the planet. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. I think the psalmist got it right when he said, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the Son of Man, that you care for him. But he does. He is mindful of you, and he does care for you. In 1977, NASA launched this, this one-way mission. It was, it was a thing called Voyager. And it, its job, its role, it, was a it wasn't going to return. They said, we're going to send you out, and we want you to take a, a snapshot, an overview of all the planets as you pass them by. So We sent that out in 1977. Then Valentine's Day, 1990, 13 years later, NASA sent a message to Voyager. And they said, before you go any further, and at this point, it's 3.7 billion miles from planet Earth, traveling at 40,000 miles an hour. Says, so said, before you go any further, I want you to turn around and take a panoramic snapshot of every single planet that you've passed. So, Voyager does. Takes a, a, a shot, 60 successive, successive shots, just ch now, each picture, each photograph had 640,000 pixels. What's a pixel? It's those little bitty, tiny, colorful dots that make up a photograph. So 640,000 pixels per image. There's 60 image, and it's taking each pixel five and a half hours to travel a 3.7 billion mile journey from Voyager back to planet Earth. So five and a half hours per pixel, 640,000 pixels. You thought you had some internet problems at your house? No. I mean, we're talking months and months and months, and they finally get these images, and, the, and the, the composite image they got back is very famous. It's very famous in astronomy, and I want to show it to you. This is the picture. You're like, I threw away one of those at Walmart when I got my pictures developed <laughs> and my thumb over the lens. What that is, what that is... Is uh, You say, well, the orange line and the green line, I see the green kind of at the bottom. Those are actually the sun's rays. That's about 4 billion miles away from the sun at this point. And right there, caught in the middle of one of those rays of sunshine as you guessed it, our home. 4 billion miles away. This picture is called the pale blue dot. And uh, one famous astronomer said of this picture, everyone who's ever lived their lives... Lived them out on that tiny pale blue dot that he then called a moat of dust caught in a ray of sunshine. You say, Reed, you're making me feel small. (laughs) It's significant insignificance because you are loved and known by the one that's created everything that we've seen tonight. You are cared for, you are pursued. And he wants to be in a relationship with you that will never, ever end. Why does God take Abram out in Genesis 15 to see the stars? I think the answer is so obvious, the answer actually eludes us. As long as Abraham was inside of his tent, his vision, his vision, oh this is good, his vision is obscured. He can't see it. He's got an eight foot ceiling. And so if he's in his tent, he's never going to see Right? And if it's out of sight, there's the old adage, out of sight, out of mind. So God says, Hey, I'm gonna remind you of how big I am. Yes, I get it, Abram. You're gonna be a hundred, your wife's gonna be ninety. I get it, you're old, you're past the age where most people have kids, but I'm God, okay? I make kids, I put them in wombs, I can do whatever. Nothing is impossible for me. Yes, Abram, with man this is impossible. I get it, man, it's impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is, impo- nothing is impossible with God. He just said, I want you, don't put an eight-foot ceiling on what I can do for you, Abram. A.W. Tozer said, a, a low view of God, oh, this is great, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. But a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. And I think this is what happens in many of our lives. And how many of us end up in the cage of assumptions. What happens is this. We tend to reduce God to the size of our biggest problem. Or we tend to reduce God to the size of our biggest sin or our biggest fear. We just we reduce him. And, and then we take God and we make him a little g God. And I think this is the scariest and most dangerous form of idolatry that exists on the planet today. I don't know what your biggest problem is that you thought you had coming in. But I can guarantee you it's probably not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem... Is that you think it's bigger than God? God is a big God. He's bigger than any problem that you came in with, and if you may, you may have come in with an impossible, an impossibility. And God says, "Not, you forget who I am." Go outside, stare in the sky, and be reminded of my majesty. I'm bigger than this. I can cure this with a word. I don't even have to use a word. I'm God. There's a great verse in Isaiah 55.9 that says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Astrophysicists have have discovered that there is a galaxy 13.7 billion light years away. That's as far as we've gotten, that I'm aware of. 13.7 billion light years away. They've seen... Another galaxy. They, they keep, we keep building bigger telescopes, we keep seeing further, and 13.7 billion light years away, they found another galaxy. So do the math on it. 13.7 billion light years, a light year is 186,000 miles per second every second for a year. That equates 5.88 trillion times 13.7 billion, that equates to 80 sextillion miles. That's an 8 with 22 zeros after it. That's way higher than I can count. <laughs> And God the Father saying, your best thoughts on your best day fall about 86 trillion miles short of my thoughts. Your ways fall about 86 trillion miles short of my ways. I'm bigger than this. I'm bigger than your problem. I'm bigger than your mess. I'm bigger than your impossibility. Whatever you have in your life, I'm bigger than that. When you enter into a relationship with Christ, all assumptions, this cage of assumptions, all assumptions should go out the window. Why? Because God is not confined to our space-time continuum. He's ever-present. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's got to take the ceilings off of our lives. And and I think that's the heart of the story in Genesis 15. He's like, Abram, listen, I get it. Biologically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm God. Nothing is impossible with me. And then we see this theme repeated all throughout Scripture: Matthew seventeen twenty, Matthew nineteen twenty six, Luke one thirty seven, Mark ten twenty seven, Philippians four thirteen. Should I keep going? It's all over the Bible. Nothing is impossible with me. All things are possible with me. So whatever you came in with, I don't care. It doesn't matter. God is bigger than that. He's He's big. I got this. Nothing is impossible for me. Get out of the cage of assumptions. And sure, you're going to have moments of doubt, and Abe did too. But I love how the, the, the way Romans four eighteen through 21 captures Abraham's faith. Listen to this. This is Romans uh, 4. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Being fully persuaded, fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Say that with me. Being fully persuaded to do, that God has the power to do what he had promised. Do you believe that? Are you fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised you? Are you fully persuaded? I'm fully persuaded that God has the power to do. What cage did you come in tonight with? What cage of assumptions? What did you assume? You assumed the worst and God's like, (laughs) I want to fully persuade you tonight. I want to raise your level of faith. I want to fully persuade you. I have the power. God has the power to do what I promised to you. I can do it, God says. I want you to be fully persuaded of that tonight. What eight-foot ceiling have you put on God? Some people think they're too old. I'm too old. That's what Abram thought. We're too old. I think it's a fair assumption, and we're in the cage of assumption, I think it's a fair assumption that biologically it's impossible for a barren postmenopausal woman to give birth. That's a fair assumption. God says, not with me. Not with me. Abram and Sarah proved to us that you're never too old. God is a God of second chances. And it's never too late to become what you might have been. I want you to hear that again. It's never too late to become what you might have been. Abram and Sarah stand as proof of that. Some people have the other side of that coin. They say, well, I'm, I'm just too young. I'm too young. If you look all throughout this book, all throughout scripture, God is using old people. He's using young people. Jesus' mother Mary, biblical scholars believe she was probably between 13 and 16 years old when she gave birth to the Savior of the world. I have a niece that's between those ages. I wouldn't trust her with my cat. I don't even have a cat. But if I did, I wouldn't trust her with my cat. (laughs) And God's like, I'm going to give the Savior of the world to you. Many of the disciples were in their late teens and early 20s. David was a child when he fought Goliath. You're not too old. You're not too young. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not too old. I'm not too young. But maybe I don't have enough faith. Or maybe I don't have enough experience. Or maybe I don't have enough education. Have I got everybody covered by now? <laughs> we have these cages of assumption. And God's like, it I don't, don't want to hear that. Those are excuses. Nothing is impossible with me. Nothing is impossible with me. Let me talk about one more assumption. It's the old adage. It's never been done that way before. I hear that one a lot. It's never been done that way before. As we approach the, the summer games in Rio, uh, I love the Olympics, I do. And as we approach the Rio games, I'm reminded of a guy named Dick Fosbury. That name may, may not mean anything to you, but I'll tell you a story. So up through the 1960s, the high jump event, okay, which is just a great event. That's just like a man event. I want you to go, and you're going to jump high, and whoever jumps the highest wins. That's so dumb. That's such a dumb event. <laughs> I don't know. That makes you laugh. Uh, but up and through the 1960s, what they would do is they would run, and they used what's called the western roll. That was the technique they used, and you basically just straddled it. I'm not going to do it, but it, they just, it wasn't like a hurdle, but it was kind of, they kind of rolled over it, so they, they would get one leg over and then just try to get the other one over before you fell. And that was the western roll. That's what everybody did. Well, Fosbury, by his own admission, you can watch his, his interviews on YouTube. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. He says, I wasn't very good. I wasn't as good as my athletic counterparts, and so I knew that I couldn't get, the world record was seven and a half feet, He said I couldn't come close to that. So he says, I want to try a different technique, so he would come up, and he would try to get his shoulders over first, and then he would turn midair and actually go face up as opposed to face down. And his coach kept saying, no, 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 you can't do it that way, and he tried to stop his technique, and he tried to get him to drop the sport, but Fosbury wouldn't do that, and he continued to perfect that, and he actually won the gold in the 1968 uh, Olympic Games, set a world record that year. And you're gonna watch the high jump a whole way different way this year. You're gonna be watching, and go, hey, they're jumping high, look at them. And, and you're gonna watch that in the track and field, and you're gonna remember the name Dick Fosbury because he changed it forever. In any arena, doesn't matter what arena it is, it depends on those who challenge assumptions. Amazon.com assumed that to sell books, you didn't need a bookstore, you didn't even need books. <laughs> Wikipedia says, well, you don't really have to go door to door and sell encyclopedias. In fact, you don't even need experts to break in any arena, in in your home, in your workplace, in your church. It takes us breaking and challenging assumptions. One thing I love about Jesus is I look in the Gospels and I think, why were the Pharisees so resistant to him? Why did they hate him as much as they did? It's because he challenged every single assumption. Read the Gospels. He challenges their assumptions. Oh, uh, I can't heal on the Sabbath? Think about that huh? this guy go another day without healing or i just heal him okay y'all get upset about that okay like that's so funny to me he challenged assumptions it's a real challenge for me and i think us spiritually because in, in the church i i, I want to challenge assumptions I, I think there are ways that we could be reaching people with the kingdom of god we could be reaching them with the gospel we could be discipling people in ways we haven't even comprehended yet we haven't imagined yet because we've got to get out of this cage you could be changing things if you get out of the cage of assumptions. For me, um, when I was, in 2003, I was at this church as just a member. And uh, another member, uh, who some of you may know if you were here at that time, was a guy named Cody Nichols. And Cody and I, uh, we had a deep desire to share the gospel on a global scale. And we didn't really know how to do that. And so we decided, we both had done radio, and um, he was actually my old boss in and, and a radio station. And so I said, well, let's, let's do a, a Christian radio syndicated show and uh at the time it was a christian rock countdown at the time there was nothing like that in the country and so we said well let's do that well typically you have to have a name you have to be famous which we weren't or you have to have some money which we didn't have any and i I was in college i was just graduating from 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 college and so we're like well no one does it this way we could have lived in that cage of assumptions said well i guess it's impossible we said let's give it a shot Let's throw it out there. Just a few years later, God completely blessed that. And we were on 73 stations all over North America and some major markets in and, 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 and Winnipeg and, and Seattle and Detroit and Tulsa and even Austin, all over the, all over the country, all over the globe. And, and we saw people come to faith. We saw over 230 salvations in a five-year span of people that were listening to the show. And that's the ones we know about that would email us and say, hey, you gave the gospel presentation. I want to let you know that I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior tonight. Again, we just, we got out of the cage. We said, listen, everybody says we can't do it. We had so many naysayers. Nice he said, let's just do it. Let's do something different. And we quit the show because there were about three other shows that just copied what we were doing. And we said, let's let them do that and let's do something different. Because this, this, this ministry is being met now. It wasn't being met five years ago. It's being met now. Let them, they followed in our footsteps in, this, in the sense that, that, not that we're anything special, but it was, it was, it was, it was, there were, God was using that and saying, wow, Two nobody's can start a radio show that God picks up and uses and blesses? Yeah. God can do amazing things. Like, I think our minds, oh, we, we get this cage of assumptions. Well, what am I going to do? Who am I? And you know, I speak to youth a lot. In the summertime, I, I go and I do youth camps. And I love them because they're so passionate and there's so much fervor and zeal and they just think they can, you remember, you're 17, you're like, I'm going to be rich and famous, right? That's what everybody thinks. Rich, in fact, no, it says I'm gonna be poor and unknown. Like, nobody says that. You're gonna be the best. Fill in the blank. You get to be 35, to 36 years old, and you go, Man, what have I really accomplished? I guess that's all I'm gonna amount to be. And God says, I'm a God of second chances. It's never too late to become who you were supposed to be. I don't care who you are or what your excuse is. I hope I've rid you of your excuse tonight and built up your faith and said, God, do the impossible in me. I see what you're capable of. God, God, God. I want to give you a closing picture of what happened in Abraham and Sarah's life. All right, you can come help me. I think the older we get, the more assumptions we tend to make. I know that's true for me. By the way, I'm preaching to myself tonight. I struggle with all of this, okay? So you're not alone. Um, I wish I could tell you that God delivers on his promises in one week or in one month or in one year. For Abraham, it took 25 years. Sometimes it's not immediate. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. But I want to show you this, this incredible ending to the story. Genesis chapter 21, six chapters later, verses 1 through 5, says this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah, what he had promised, Sarah became pregnant. That's so crazy to me. She's ninety. Like my grandma lived to she was ninety two. I could just imagine her at ninety two going. <sighs> Can you imagine? Sarah's friends going. <laughs> it's awesome. They're both in diapers. <laughs> Sarah became pregnant. I'm sorry. That was inappropriate. I'm sorry. <laughs> and bore a son to Abraham in, in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred Years old. When his son Isaac was born. I hope tonight the word of God has stretched your faith. I hope you are leaving here stretching your Like whatever assumption you came in with tonight. Whatever dream you had. My wife and I, we we got away. uh, And earlier this month I said, Babe, I want us to dream. And I said, I want you to give me a five year dream. Where we'll be in five years. Things you want to accomplish in the next five years. And we had fun coming up with that list together. I came up with things I wanted to do personally. She came up with things she wanted to do personally. And we're going to come up with things that we want to do as a family in the next five years. We wanted to dream again. Say, God, what would you want to do through us? What do you want to do through us? Have the faith that God can do the impossible. And we've got some big stuff. Don't we, babe? I got some big stuff on that list. That seem like impossibilities now. But I have great faith. And the word of God says if I have faith like a mustard seed. I can tell a mountain go from here to there and it will be moved. Unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God. But faith puts God between us and our circumstances. Have some faith. Put God between you and your circumstances. Whatever your circumstances are, I don't care. Put God there. That's faith. Saying, God, you're bigger than my circumstances. You're bigger than my problems. You're bigger than my stresses. You're bigger than my worries. You're bigger than my sin. You're God. You may have walked in assuming one thing, but I want you to leave here believing God for the other. And I want to show you one more passage. We started in Genesis 15 with the promise. We ended in Genesis 21 with the fruition. But I love this little passage in between in Genesis 18. Just a few verses. Look at this. Genesis 18, 10 through 14 says, Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. This is before the son. obviously. There's three chapters before that. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. And you may do some of that. You may laugh at this idea. You may laugh at this whole talk. And Sarah did. And she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Look at verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm going to ask you that same question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's easy to say that now. When you're staring your problem in the face, you're staring your bank account in the face, you're staring at a marriage that's on the rocks, it's it's hard to say, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. 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 Nothing is impossible with God. You've got to believe that. And you've got to receive that in your homes, in your lives, in your workplaces. And you know what? It was about this time last year that we had Miracle Month. And that was stretching my faith. Let me tell you something. That, that was stretching my faith. I believe in miracles, but I've never openly prayed like hard for miracles for a whole month. I said, okay. And people would come down for prayer. I'd be down here praying. And they would come up to me and they would say, would you pray for Fill in the blank. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> let's do it. And I was praying for things that seemed impossible. And I'm seeing God heal multiple people in this house with cancer. I've seen God heal multiple babies whose heartbeats had stopped. Heal them. And they're born and they're healthy today. I had a gentleman that was, I prayed with and, and he said, Rita, I haven't had work in 18 months. I haven't had a job interview in 18 months and I've got to find work. Please help me. Pray for me. Pray that I get a job. So we prayed right there. He called me. I had a message on my phone when I got to work at 10 o'clock the next morning. He'd, He'd beat me before I got to work. He said, I wanted to let you know that I got a job interview. Not only get a job interview, I got a job. I got the most money. I'm making the most money I've ever made in my entire life with this job. The day after, we prayed for him. God is a God of the impossible and he loves you and he cares for you and he wants the best for you. So you got to trust him and say, I'm going to put this in your hands. i got a 90-year-old wound, but I'm going to put this in your, I'm going to trust you. Because you're God. you're God. You're God. You're God. You're God. If you ever forget that, I want you to step outside and look up. Okay. I trust you. I just needed to see this again. If you want to, you can count them. It'll take you a while. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. I, I know we don't normally pray on Wednesday nights, but I just I feel uh, led by the Spirit to do this. I just pray for you. Some of you are believing for the impossible, and we want to pray with you. We just want to pray with you and just say we're going to believe with you for the impossible. We had Miracle Month. I don't know if we can have Miracle Wednesday. We can't, just, we can't see. I, I, want some, I want some voicemails on my, on my mailbox tomorrow, okay? I want you to call and say, Reed, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. I want a full mailbox in the morning because we're going to believe God for the impossible in your lives. As our prayer partners come, I want everybody to stand with me. And we're just going to worship. We're going to sing. But if you feel led by the Spirit, you've got something you want prayer about. Let me say, the, the, the greatest impossibility that could possibly happen tonight is you came here and you said, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And let me just say something, that you are bound, you are bound for a destination that you are not going to look forward to. But Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. First Timothy one fifteen. That's why He came to this earth, and He wants to bring salvation to you tonight. He wants to come into your life tonight. Maybe you will be baptized tonight through the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't know what God has for you, but I want you to come and receive that through our prayer partners. They're nothing special. They're just men and women who love Jesus and love you. So let us pray for you about anything that God may be dealing with.